Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. All right, we're back again here with the Woodsman Podcast, Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. Um, I'm still chewing a lot and trying to digest a lot of the stuff we talked about with Steve Shirk last week. If you tuned into that episode with Steve Shirk of Shirk's Guide Service and just dissecting that public land trail camera information scouting and there's just no way, shape, or form. I mean, I think we listen to podcasts, and I, I'm guilty of this, where I, I try to digest as much information as possible. And I think it's going to give me that that one edge and that next step better, and it's going to make me more efficient. And I think I think digesting information from people does that. But I just ah, there's just no there's no replacing time in the woods and scouting. And uh, I think Steve, nobody else does a better job of highlighting that than Steve. Um, You know, the guy spends over 300 days a year in the woods scouting and preparing for deer season, and he sleeps and breathes it just as much as anybody else, and that's why he's such a great guy to talk to about big woods, whitetails, and, you know, he's always got my wheels turning and thinking of what I can do to be better in the woods. Um, So really just, you know, got my wheels turning, and, and I'm as fired up now as I've been from the beginning of leading into archery season last year. I mean, it's still on my brain. I'm thinking about, you know, the gear I wanted to uh, upgrade this year and the things I want to do to prepare for next season and uh, where I want to scout and how I want to manage and reevaluating some of my goals even. It's just a never-ending thing that I just constantly, constantly am, am thinking about. But, uh, you know, one thing I reverted off of a little bit and kind of do this off season, kind of that deer pression, as I like to call it, in between deer season and turkey season is is I'll, I'll go out and go predator hunting a little bit. I'm not much of a predator hunter. I wouldn't even consider myself a predator hunting hunter. I just go predator hunting every now and then. And uh, <clears throat> we had one good night here. We called in a couple gray fox, and uh, that was a cool hunt, cool experience. But, uh, you know, this week in this episode, you know, everybody who's thinking predators now, just like me, if they flip into that, you know, flip that switch and go into coyote mode or whatever that may be, um, this week's episode is uh, is for you and it's for anybody who's a diehard predator hunter because this week we talk with uh, Keystone Predator Management, which is uh, Brian Mealy and Dane Kitmer. And these guys were a riot. They had me rolling the whole entire time and uh you know getting this episode set up these are a bunch of great guys and they are diehard predator hunters and coyote hunters and uh, they they get into some great detail you know if you are somebody who just started predator hunting or you've done it for a little while but you're still trying to learn a lot i'm telling you right now this one hour block of time is going to put you leaps and bounds ahead in learning about coyote hunting and predator hunting than it would if you spent a few years by yourself trying to learn it on your own. And I I think these guys kind of highlight that because what they shared with us is, you know, that's how they made leaps and bounds is having a mentor go through it. And the things that they talk about um, are, are foreign to me in some sense. And they're just, it's that next level of predator hunting. If it's something you're into, I think this is really going to help you. Um, so one of the things you have to bear with here is um, my audio when I'm speaking is getting a little bit of feedback. And I think the reason for that is these guys had an external mic and it was picking up on on my audio. So you have to bear with me when I'm speaking. You can hear that feedback, but you can hear these guys plain, uh, plain as day and they're uh, they're well-spoken, they're knowledgeable and they were just a hoot. So sit back and enjoy this episode. It's it's a lot of fun with these guys, and it's very informative. First of all, you know, for anybody who's listening to this podcast, I mean, just 
tell me guys who you are and tell me about Keystone Predator Management and you know all that that entails and just tell me about you guys as predator hunters and outdoorsmen here at PA. Well, uh, kind of started. I personally started out. Um, I'm originally from Southern Ohio. Before we get too carried away, we, let's make sure we got names too. Who, who's who's talking here? <laughs> ah, Brian Mealy, and this is Dane Kittner. Good deal, good deal. Yeah, tell me all about it, guys. So I, uh, like I said, I started. Uh, I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio, Southern Ohio area, and. Uh, my parents actually had chickens that were getting killed by some fox. Um, and that was probably going on eight or nine years ago now. And uh, that kind of got me into predator hunting. I was kind of forced to learn how to do it. And then uh, once I moved up here, Pennsylvania, ended up kind of taking it serious here with Dane. So, hey, Dane, tell me about yourself. <laughs> Introduce yourself. <laughs> Well, my name is Dane Kittner. I've been uh, in Pennsylvania, born and raised, and uh, currently living on my family farm and uh, always kind of had an interest in it. Hunted my whole life, always hunted deer, small game, a little bit of everything, but uh, tried my hand at uh, coyote hunting. was never super good at it. And then uh, my mom actually let her dog out and he was killed by a coyote. So that kind of sparked an interest in killing every coyote I could find. <laughs> so uh, Brian and I kind of got hooked up because he ended up moving up here beside me right across from my property. Okay, good deal. So and now that's uh, killing every coyote. Now that's how you led to Facebook jail, correct? That and a little bit of politics. <laughs> um, <laughs> Between uh, guns, death, and politics, Facebook's not very happy with us. Yeah, that's usually how that goes. We won't go down that rabbit hole tonight. We'll just stick on the predators. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sounds good. That's probably ideal. <laughs> Three more days and I'm out of restriction, so I'm gonna try to be good for a little bit. <laughs> so how did uh, how did Keystone Predator Management become a real deal? Because I'm assuming you guys just started hunting, but how how did this evolve to where you guys are now in predator hunting? Well, um, Basically, we started running around with shotguns, with red lights, practically duct tape, duct tape to them, and trying to figure out how to how to kill these coyotes around here. And we quickly realized that we needed more land, and so we started knocking on doors, getting permissions. And uh, over time, we kind of wanted to legitimize ourselves, I guess. Um, so we, we gave ourselves a name. We got ourselves some hunting insurance and, and, uh, made it a little easier to get permissions some business cards with permission slips on the back of them. And, uh, just kind of grew from there. We turned it into a Facebook page and, and just built up quite a, quite a local fan base. And, uh, that's kind of where it started. So as you guys kind of evolve with this uh, business type look or feel, um, just kind of giving it a choice, was that a lot easier to convince people to let you come predator hunting? Because my experience has been, you know, you talk about trying to deer hunt or turkey on somebody's property, and you know, that's like for a, a forbidden thing anymore. But when it comes to predators, it seems like most people don't care, even in PA here. Uh, that's kind of like a 50-50. Um, you'll have your landowners who when you talk to them they had uh, previous encounters with predator hunters uh as brian calls them the blue falcons they come in they <laughs> cut their fences down they shoot their cows and their horses so when you show up not looking like a redneck with a gun trying to kill everything you look more professional it's a little bit easier for those landowners to let you in there and uh then you meet your people who have had pets or livestock get killed, and they're on the same boat as us. They just want every predator killed. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was a big part of it. Just showing up, not looking like a bum, smile on your face, treating people with respect, and and then uh, having a, a name behind your what you do. It really. Changes their attitude. Yeah. When you show up and you knock on their door, they look at you, and you can almost see they're automatically going to say no. 
And then once you kind of show them you're legitimate, you, you got a card, you got a name, you're respectful. You're knowledgeable you can, about, you know, what you're hunting and how you hunt. You tell them how you're going to do it exactly. I mean. They almost perk up and yeah. get uh, curious and start picking your brain about, about everything. Yep. Yep. And by the end of the conversation, you have permission. And then nine times out of ten, you got the neighbor's permission. You got intel on where the coyotes are, where they've been hearing them, seeing them. I have a guy who texts me almost every night when he hears them, tells me exactly where they're at, and then he's going above and beyond, and he's actually, he called all his neighbors and has been texting me saying, hey, I got so-and-so's permission. I got this guy's permission. Call this guy. He hates coyotes. He wants you to go meet with him, and he wants to show you his property. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, once we created a page on Facebook and uh, on other social media platforms, before we knew it, we didn't have to go knocking on doors anymore. People started calling and messaging us. And I mean, we have permissions all over the state that we haven't even been to yet that we, uh, you know, plan to get around to eventually. But uh, you definitely, once you develop a name for yourself and you, you're doing things the right way with, you know, respect and respecting people's property and land. And, and it just kind of, kind of works itself out after a while. Yeah, without a doubt. That seems like a really, really cool setup. So the, the one thing that I wouldn't mind you guys giving a little bit of insight of your perspective on is, you know, most people, when they think of predator hunting, if they're not, you know, real avid predator hunters, you know, I feel like uh, the outdoor industry, a lot of the time has been daytime oriented, or you're seeing stuff in the Midwest. Um, you know, as predator hunting's got more popular, you're seeing more nighttime stuff going on. Um you know, it, it's new to the grand scheme of things. It's not new to us as predator hunters, but how do you talk to landowners and explain to them that you're actually going out at night and, you know, legitimize that as a safe practice? Because initially, if, if people are clueless, I think they kind of feel that's unsafe. Um, a lot of times we uh, start out explaining how we do things. Uh, we say we show up when we do this, we turn our lights off on the truck, we use thermal. Uh, that's another thing because everybody thinks you're going to show up with a red light and see the uh, eyeballs of a cow and shoot it. So if you show them a picture of a, or a video of what it looks like in your thermal and they realize you can see every mouse that runs through the field, every owl that poops out of a tree, every mouse, you know, just any animals that run around, it, it really helps them feel safer that you're not going to shoot their truck, their house, or their cow. Yeah, and then to top it off, when you when they start asking you questions and and you're actually knowledgeable about you know the pattern of life of a coyote and and characteristics and where they you know den up at and where they travel to and just kind of what they do at night that that really helps too. Just showing that you know what you're talking about makes a big difference. <laughs> Without a doubt, yeah, it's a it's a level of respect and interest. Yeah, yep. So let's back the train up just a little bit here, and you know, you guys had talked about you guys kind of got started. You know, you're you're just like anybody else would a little bit of excitement and with what you had, you know, duct tape and red lights to shotgun and having at it. And how has that evolved to Keystone Predator Management? I mean, what's been the chronological progression not just necessarily in equipment but what's been the chronological progression of you guys just learning about coyotes and you know what are the big takeaways you've had in mistakes and hunts or big learning experiences to get to where you guys are now with this man that's almost comical to think, to think about we're sitting here almost giggling thinking back on where we started and how we used to do things before we knew what the hell we were doing right uh, like I said, we we were running around with shotguns and running case around of beer, case of beer. Seven yeah, guys. back when I drank, yeah, we would <laughs> we have you know we get all our buddies together. Half of us were you know three sheets to the wind, <laughs> trying to figure out what the heck we're doing out in the woods with shotguns and red lights. Never called in a we single coyote. Single coyote No, I don't doubt so, that. Those days are those days are long gone. Um, but since then, we've you know we started out with uh, night vision. I know you you had night vision first. Yeah, we went from day hunting to red lights to night vision to finally thermal. 
And uh, we went out with a mentor once and we realized thermals where it's at. That was our end game goal was to get to thermal. Yep. Okay. Yep. But uh, yeah, we, we transitioned from running around through the woods, uh, not knowing what we're doing to, you know, standing out in the middle of a, a giant cornfield and calling them in within a hundred yards to us so took a lot of google a lot of youtube and a lot of facebook i mean i'd say it, it took at least a year and a half to finally get our first one and kind of figure that out once you figure it out that learning curve once you straighten that learning curve out it's i hate to say game changer but it is it's a game changer once you once you kind of figure it out it's all downhill from there for the most part yeah you still have your you think you get them figured out coyotes draw to them is you figure them out and you think you're amazing. And then you're like, oh, every August is terrible. Like you, you come up with like, they just don't move in August. And then the next year you hit August and it's your best month of the summer. Like they, they change something up on you every month or every year. Their their seasons seem to be slightly different than the season before. As soon as you think you've got them figured out. They, they, they prove it. Yeah, they prove you wrong. Well, I, I feel like that happens to me in the world of whitetails all the time too. That's no different, but you oh, keep yeah. learning. Yep, exactly. That's the key right there. As long as you continue to learn, um, continue to learn from other hunters. A mentor was big. You know, you get a mentor who you go out every day and you stand in the field. You don't know what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. Right. But when you have somebody who's good and they take you out under their wing and they say, hey, this is what I do. And they show you things you never even thought of. When we started, we'd sit in a brush line, even in the dark, and be all camoed out. And you just hunt it like you'd hunt deer. And then this guy takes us out and we're standing in an open field, which is against everything, you know, hunting, you don't go stand in an open field and hold your gun and tripod. And, you know, it's just a mentor, I think is a big part if you are able to find somebody. Yeah, definitely. Definitely find someone that knows what they're doing. That's killed several coyotes or whatever it is you're trying to hunt. Fox coyotes, groundhogs, right. raccoons, you know, um, but definitely find someone that knows what they're doing and you will straighten that curve out a lot faster than what we did. We, one, had, we had to learn everything the hard way. <laughs> one night of hunting with a mentor could be a year's worth of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. It's like that aha moment when you first finally have it. It's like, okay, it makes sense now. So yep. let's dig into that. So you, you kind of touched base a little bit there on some of the, the problems you had. So you'd set about all camoed out and brush lines. So in the beginning, what were some of the big mistakes that like resonate with you guys compared to your aha moment? Just to start listing a few things. We all stunk. Smell like know. beer, tobacco, whatever else you can think of. Yeah. Yeah, so I've quit drinking and quit smoking and everything else since. So well, that's uh, a healthy thing for your for you and your family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those days are definitely over. That 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 made a big difference, I think, because you know once we jumping ahead to now, once we got into thermal and we had you know we we were behind thermal scopes, we could see how coyotes reacted mm -hmm. you can literally see them smell you and and run away even so. with an anti-scent shower when a coyote gets downwind of you even in 350 yards away we've watched a coyote get downwind spinning around on its heels and sprint away from us absolutely yep, yep. so that's you know it's, it's not and that's not the one single thing that you know made it work that's one brick to the you know the entire foundation of of hunting i think yeah so it's it's not there's no one single thing that just changes everything for you it's everything the so. scent was a big one uh sound. sound when you get out of the truck you click the door close you know just shut it um when you put around in the chamber you try to do it as quietly as you can uh zippers anything metal you don't want it bouncing tripod if you use a tripod you know, we keep ours in the bed of our truck open too. And it's already open. We just quietly grab it out of there without banging it on the side of the truck or the, the bed of the truck. And, you know, those little things, it's just, they all just add up. You quit going with a herd of people. You go out <laughs> yeah. with like five to seven guys, and that's five to seven times the ascent, the, the movement, the, the sound. sound. <laughs> yeah. 
So we, we go out, the two of us, and then we'll take a guest or two sometimes. Right. But you're, you're transitioning from just kind of going out with a night with the boys to actually getting pretty serious about it and hunting like a predator. You're talking about uh, set, you're talking about covering yourself in all your senses and being an you know a, a predator in your hunting sequence. So you know you brought up scent. So when you approach a set, however you're going to approach that, kind of give me an idea. Like if you're looking at a block of timber with a large field or you know whatever scenario you can think of, you know when you're approaching that, obviously you're getting you're quiet out of the truck. Are you really being conscious of wind direction when you go to make a set and how? How do you ultimately decide where you sit? You know, if it's a 10 acre field, you know, that has a wood line on one side of it, you know, what, what is something like that? What are the things going through your head when you're going to make that set? Uh, I'd say first things first is determine wind direction and then determine where we think the coyotes are going to come from. So those two factors are the very first thing that we identify as soon as we get there, whether we know the property or not. Uh, nine times out of 10, if we know the property, we typically know from, you know, the, from past hunts, past stands there, where they're most likely going to be coming out of. So we'll make sure that um, our scent cone, what we call the scent cone, doesn't cross their noses as we go into stands. Right. Then once we set up, I'll put the call out to where if they go downwind of that sound, they don't cross our scent cone first. That way, you know, they, they don't smell us before they get downwind of the sound to check it out and start coming in. So without a doubt. That's yeah. So that's that's kind of our primary tactic when it comes to scent is just keeping them out of our scent cone. That's their biggest defense is their nose. Oh yeah. You can't beat that. nose. I mean, we've, we've actually beat their nose a few times. <laughs> very, very rarely, but we've actually done it. Okay. Um, but we also, you know, I take a, a scent free shower I use all the, you know, the cover scents. I, you know, I do it all. A lot of guys don't, but, you know, that's just, that's what we do. I know Dane does too. And before we go out, we make sure. Our guests even, we tell our guests the same thing. Uh, don't be smoking or chewing because they'll smell it. Yep. Uh, we have noticed the guys who do smoke or chew in between stands, those nights are a whole lot less active. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, um, like I said, it's, it's not one single thing that you do that makes all the difference, but they all add up. A lot so. of little things. You know, you know, one percent could be a big deal in the realm of uh, a coyote stand. Exactly. We've we've had we've had um, nights where we're like, ah, screw it. Let's not let's not descent. Let's just get out there and and do a couple stands just to get out. And we we will literally watch these coyotes get downwind of us look right at us and run off and then there's nights where we you know did everything by the book by our book and uh we'll have them come downwind straight to us that's 30 yards away i mean we have it on video so okay it's it's possible to beat it but the conditions have to be perfect perfect yeah so one thing that you guys said, you know, you're, you're paying attention to the wind and you said you're setting up based on where you think the coyotes are going to come from. So that makes sense. But, you know, if you don't know a property, um, what what are some of the things that make you think that? Is it specific habitat changes or land features or like when you look at something new, what are you saying that that that's my prediction that that's where those coyotes are going to come from? Uh, we pay for the OnX uh, app. Okay. That is a huge role. Uh, the way we hunt, too, which may be different from some other guys, uh, we hunt at night in open fields, not in the woods. So we will look at uh, a field on OnX and see where the woods are at. Because nine times out of ten, they're hiding in the woods unless it's freshly farmed, like uh, they belled the hay the night before. Then they might be out in the field already mousing. But uh, we'll see if there's any streams nearby or any ravines. 
and you kind of look at like the map topographically and that kind of helps you determine where they're going to come from uh if there's a road and some houses behind you and a barn to your right they're probably going to be in front of you or to the left so you got to keep all those things in mind yeah and we hunt from tripods rifles mounted to the top of tripods um our rifles swivel 360 degrees and we hunt 360 degrees so you know that's that's key so even if we we could get out there and our best guess could be that tree line or or that ravine that railroad track that's that's got to be where they're coming from and they'll make liars out of us and pop up behind us sure but we'll catch them because we scan non-stop 360 degrees so we always you know kind of determine first of all where we can't shoot uh for safety reasons mm-hmm. and uh, we, we kind of pick our what i call it sectors of fire it's military and you saying that but we'll pick our sectors of fire out and we'll we'll say all right this is where we can shoot this is where we can't shoot and let's let's call them to this spot so uh, why don't you touch a little bit on your setup, specifically location? Because you said something that, you know, most people, especially myself, you know, I'm just kind of new to it myself, and that whole getting out in the middle of the field in the middle of the night seemed so foreign to me the first time I did it. But talk a little bit about that and why that's more effective or, you know, whatever compared to, you know, thinking you need to be in cover or something like that. Man, that is so effective. Because from what we talked about earlier, their nose, they can, if you hunt in a tight spot, say you got just a little four, three, four acre field and you're surrounded by woods, which a lot of times in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, where we are here, the Western PA, sure. that, that might be all you have to work with. But, um, but that's so key to get out in the biggest open field that you can, because they'll smell you they'll get downwind of you smell you and leave before you even knew they were there because they stay tucked into the tree line so if you get out in that big open field and you play the wind right you set your call up in the right direction you kind of force them to expose themselves out in those fields and it also gives you time to see them coming uh gives you time to see how they react to your sounds you can change up your sounds in time. If they start to leave you, you know, you can switch up sounds and, and bring them back. So it, it's, that is, uh, if you're not hunting daytime with a shotgun, then that, that is our recommendation. I mean, that all the, all the new guys that ask us, you know, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to make this happen? That's our very first recommendation. Find the, biggest field you can find get at the highest point in the middle of it and call them to you yeah that's extremely interesting i mean the first time i learned that uh blew me away because we were going to walk out in the middle of a field surrounded by you know everything that could possibly see us in my mind and be skyline and the first time it worked i was blown away yep yep i was too we i think we both were like yeah. I said, growing up with deer, it's, you stay in the brush, you stay in a tree, you're camoed out, uh, hunting at night. Other than silhouette, the nighttime is your camo. So it's just movement. As long as you're not dancing around your tripod, you're moving slowly and quietly. They can't see you. Uh, and a lot of times, depending on the season, depending on their, you know, if they're uh, territorial or, you know, looking to mate, whatever time of year it is, right? if, if they commit to your sound, it, sometimes it doesn't even matter. You could yell at them, and they're not going to stop. We've yelled, so. stop, dog, and they <laughs> yeah. just keep charging. And they just keep coming. So, you know, it it, it depends on you – know, every coyote is different, man. It, sometimes timid you, and... you squeak at them with a little mouse squeaker, and they sprint away faster than you can follow them. Other times you, you do a lip squeak at them, and they come sprinting in like – like they haven't eaten for a week so you just you never know and and that's you know it's a challenge and that's what makes it the best the best hunting sport and and i mean i i don't want to hunt anything else i think i hunted deer once this year 
because I'm just no longer interested in hunting anything else. Just ate up with the other thing. Oh, yeah. I, it's an addiction. It's a fast paced, 20 minute stand, rapid fire action. And then when I go sit and watch uh, for deer, I'm there about half an hour. I'm like, man, I'd be moved on to my next stand. Yeah. Before my triplets were born, we were going out four or five nights a week. I mean, it's an addiction. So, forewarning to, to any of you guys out there that are just getting started or interested in getting into it. You won't have time or money left. Exactly. <laughs> so, but you'll love it. So, talk a little yeah, bit about that. You have the best time of your life every night. <laughs> So talk a little bit about that season. So, um, you know, me, I'm a seasonal hunter. You know, I'm pretty avid in, in deer most of the year, you know, from summer to getting prep and all stuff in fall. But I go into, I always call it deer pression. Deer season closes and I'm looking for something to get, you know, cabin fever out. And, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is predators. So this is a time of year where I think a lot of people do that. You know, the bulk of, you know, not hardcore predator hunters, but they want to get out and do something. That's kind of their, their thought process. So, you know, this time of year, what, what are you strategizing this time of year? Maybe as far as sounds or, you know, maybe have coyotes been overpressured earlier in the year that, you know, certain things aren't going to work, you know, Touch a little bit on that. Yeah, uh, this time of year, it could be, it could be the most active time of the year that you've ever hunted. It could be the deadest month of the year that you've ever hunted. January, late December, most of January can be pretty tough. Um, it, you're coming into or right smack in the middle of mating season. Um, you have a lot of pressure from guys hunting tournaments. Uh, you have a lot of guys, like you said, that are no longer hunting deer. They're looking to hunt something. Um, so they get out there and, and just pressure them like crazy and educate them. Um, it can be tough, especially if you hunt the same area a lot. So best, the best thing to do this time of year is find fresh ground. And I would say, um some prey distress or some territorial territorial female territorial or some you know mating sounds and then of course you have your 365 days a year pup distress you know that works anytime any place so so like this time of year, like if you do, you're doing sets, you know, let's say you're you're doing those four or five nights a week and you're doing those sets. Um, do you go into a set and you always start at a specific volume or do you rotate that as much as you rotate what sound you go to on a stand? Uh, that's a tough question because that, that kind of comes with experience and, and the knowledge of the properties that you're hunting. Um, you might have a property that you hunt you know a couple times a month just because it's it's a it's a hot property or it's close to you it's easy to you know easy access just to get out and get some hunting in um and you may know you know how those coyotes in that area kind of react to your sounds the different sounds so a lot of that has to do with what's worked in the past um but as a general rule of thumb we typically start out on the quieter side yep. and work up and towards the end we throw in a hail mary and yeah see if there's even anything that will want to talk to us even if it doesn't want to come hunt that way or come come running in for us to hunt and then we can maybe make a move on it and find a property nearby that's a little bit closer yeah yeah we typically we have over i think 550 properties that we have permission on for coyote hunting so a lot of times we're hunting one property we do uh, you know a lone howl just to see what's out there and you know we'll hear them half a mile in one direction a whole pack of them just sounding off that's that's when we'll make the decision all right let's, let's look at the map see what we have in that direction okay yeah we got a property closer to that that pack of coyotes sounding off let's move so we'll just pack up and and just abandon that stand altogether and move on them. Or if we don't have anything that direction, we'll we'll just do some seriously loud calling and try to convince them to come in with some territory or 
you know, whatever works. But do you, f- you kind of play it by ear, honestly? Right. Do you find that you're using a lot more of those coyote sounds, whether it's uh, uh, in, say, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a mating season type sound or a territorial type sound. Do you find yourself using those more this time of year just because of the season that we're in? Yeah, yes and no. I, I, I do the calling typically when we go out, when Dane and I are out hunting, I'm, I'm typically the, the one with the remote doing the calling. Um, I'm kind of partial to vocals. So I, I like to bring them in on vocals. I just like to hear them. So I like doing that the too. vocals too. Like, that too. Yep. And you hear them, you instantly know there's coyotes nearby. I can try hard at the stand. Yep. Whenever you do 20 minutes, you don't hear a thing. You start to wonder, are there even any coyotes here at all? Yeah, you can't you can't kill what's not there. Right. So personal, uh, I guess a personal thing is we really like to do the vocals just for affirmation to know okay we're not wasting our time at this stand. Yeah, and you know what you use, what sounds you use, it's honestly personal preference. Um, there are uh, I like to say, I always say tell a story when I'm calling. So, um, you know I'll start out with some some mouse squeaks or like a rabbit distress. Um, and then I'll do like a fox fight or a, a territorial, you know, coyote vocal. And then switch to, you know, like a, a den attack sound. Kind of sound like there's a, a, a competitor, you know, a, something a just, competition nearby. Yeah, yeah. There, was, there was prey in the field. There's another coyote who's eating their food. Yep. Yep. And Stealing from their dinner table. Exactly. So, so um, real quick, just to touch on the uh, volume thing that you asked about. Um, some people will say that you have to call loud. We have one guy, uh, his name's Chip. And uh, every once in a while, we'll go Chip Pearson style, and we'll just crank up the rabbit's distress as loud as it'll go. Yep. He likes then, to call real loud, and it works for him. He kills a lot. Okay. And then you have other guys who don't take their their call above the you know sound level 10. So, Which we've done that method, too. We've called coyotes in from 1,500 yards away just with a, a pup garble sound on volume 7. I mean, they, they have hearing that you would not believe and again those are the things you learn once you're behind a thermal mm-hmm. when you can see them that far away we actually how they react not too long ago we had one that we were playing a sound and the coyote was ignoring us <clears throat> so brian bumped it up to nothing bumped it up to nothing bumped it up to it stopped dead and looked right at the call and then just started running in yep so that's so where i left it that's where you you get the benefit from thermal uh you get to see every movement and you get to see it from far away. You know, that kind of brings me back. We just did an episode um, about a week or two ago with Don Kelly, who's an ice fisherman. We were talking about the technology and ice fishing, and they were talking about that moral obligation of using the, all the technology we have a days. And they were talking about using video cameras for ice fishing and the things you can learn. And, you know, there's a controversial topic of, is that, almost unfair but you know we made the argument that it's giving you another step to learning and giving you that next little bit of edge to improve that and that's kind of what i'm gathering from the thermal side of things oh absolutely yeah i actually just saw the meme on facebook that was making fun of the uh the technology for ice i I didn't get it but now i now i understand (laughs) the meme (laughs) that's uh you know the technology that's available today is just incredible it's like yeah. hunting archery with a recurve versus a compound versus a crossbow right if you want to go back to the roots and uh you just like doing that because of the primal way of doing things cool with the nostalgia yeah of it. do it that's yep. fun uh if you just want to do hunt them for effectiveness thermal is the most effective thing out there right now sure so take advantage of it Take advantage of it and do you and don't impose it on somebody else is a big thing. Exactly. So Facebook groups can get pretty heated with uh, people's personal beliefs. Yeah, take 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 it with a grain of salt. 
when you get into social media platforms and and everyone's opinions and especially in this this sport yeah it's uh it can get pretty rough out there so you just you do what works for you and the whole point is to enjoy it and uh if you get an opportunity to teach others along the way and that's what it's all about, if you ask me. So you're talking about, you know, tinkering with that volume. You saw saw a coyote that you kept tinkering with the volume and turned it up until he stopped dead, and then he turned and ran on a dime. So do you guys find that certain nights, whether it's weather-related, wind-related, moon-related, is there anything like that that you're looking at that makes you say, this is going to be a little bit of a better night for me than normal, and they, maybe that's why I see more coyote responses? Hey, when you figure that out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> when you think, once again, going back, when you think you got them figured out, you know, you're like, oh, it's a 20-degree it's a temperature drop from today to tonight. Uh, the, the the barometric pressure's up. There's we no have, moonlight. Like I said, we had a, a rule, uh, like a going saying that you know we're not going to kill anything on a full moon. We didn't yeah. understand why coyotes howl at the moon all the time in the cartoons, and uh, we thought there's no way coyotes are moving because for first couple, we never, yeah. we would never kill anything on a full moon. It was we just stopped hunting on a full moon basically. And then this year we blew that myth out of the water. We yeah. we were slaying this year with a full moon. We killed a lot under a full moon this year, so. Uh, you know, it, it could be a perfectly dry night. Uh, thermal just looks incredible. Um, you know, the conditions are perfect. The wind is light and, and you know, one single direction. You can, it's predictable. And you go out and you're like, ah, oh, tonight's the night. We're going to, we're going to, it's going to be an active night. And then you go out till 4 a.m. and you haven't heard or seen a thing. Mm. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, and if anyone tells you any different, they're full of it. Okay. But, but, you know, a lot of it's luck. A lot of it is, uh, scouting, scouting your properties, understanding where they're at pressure. Uh, yeah. Understanding the pressure that that area, it might be under. If somebody's hunting that property a lot, then it doesn't matter what the weather is, they're going to be leery to come in. So if you can find that virgin ground, people aren't hunting. I don't think it would matter what the weather or the temperature or the moon is doing. If you're the first person to go there and call, you're probably going to have some dogs running in. Oh, yeah. Our best our best stands ever have always been on brand new, fresh dirt. Well, even like we went to Ohio, and we, we killed seven on one stand in three separate waves because it's never been called before. Yeah. Wow. They just they, they couldn't stand it. They had to keep coming in. We, we, we probably saw over 20 coyotes within 40 minutes we were dumping mags and and doing mag changes at one point dane ran out of ammo and he had some over in the direction he was looking he he's like brian get over here and shoot these coyotes we were just talking like this at this point yeah and all we had playing the whole time was a a very low volume i think it was a eight week pup garble just a, just a, almost like a pup sound, like a playing, mm-hmm. like they're playing, yeah. kind of talking to each other. Right. They came from Man, like they came from away. at least, at least. I mean, it's like a quarter mile away to the, to the river bottom. And they just came barreling in. And they would come in in waves. We'd shoot as many as we could. They'd run away. Another wave of them would come in. We'd shoot as many of those as we could, and they'd run away. It was incredible. So three and waves. fresh dirt. And I'd say just about every time we've gotten on fresh dirt we've at least called them in but it, it you know the doesn't, more doesn't more take pro- much to educate them right the more property you can get the more success you're going to have honestly if you keep hunting if you only have five properties and you're hunting those you know every weekend your your numbers aren't going to be real high after a while um i would say but i like to say you know let them soak for a little bit leave them alone for a while because our neighboring field here, uh, we hunt a lot because it's Brian's backyard and my backyard, and those ones are the ones directly killing our animals. Our, our first year, we killed, what, like 13 or 15 out of this one field alone. Yep. Uh, this year, did we get any out of that field? Like a handful, maybe. Yeah, a couple fox, I think. We got a lot of fox around here. But, okay. And, and that's probably 
because we've taken out a lot of the coyotes in the area, now the fox population is picking up. So we, we see a lot more fox running around here now. So um, what we're doing is effective here locally within, you know, a thousand acres of our, of our homes. We live next door to each other. Sure. But, uh, but we also say we hit this property, you know, this property, this neighboring property, we hit it three, four, five times a month. We may only see or hear coyote one time out of those three, four, five times. It's because we hit it so often. Mm-hmm. But we've also killed a lot of coyotes off of this property because it's you know consistency really more than anything. It's more quantity yeah. than quality at that point. But that just shows that when you're when you're hunting it more, you're going to see less of them. So the more properties you have to give your good properties a break is the way to go. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's great. You guys answered the question before I even asked it, and it was kind of along those lines of how often you can get away with that pressure. It honestly, it depends on how they act. If you, man, we have one property. I'm not going to say the name, but we have one property that every time we go there, we call coyotes in and we kill them. I mean, they just they. They love coming into our calls and they love getting killed. And we will do that until they quit coming in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Some people have like a rule of thumb, like, oh, once a month or once every two weeks. Or for us, it, we started out, okay, we hunted that last month. Let's not touch it. To uh, now we're just, let's hit it. We'll keep hitting it until we kill every coyote, coyote that wants to come in and they quit coming in. All right, let's go find the next hot spot. Yeah, we have enough properties we can do that now. So we can we can leave that one alone until next year. Sure. And still have properties to hunt. We all forget year. which properties we even have. We drive by, like, oh, let's go get this permission. We look at it on on X, like, oh, we have it. And that's from knocking on doors mm-hmm. hours two, for two years straight, every Sunday, going out and meeting farmers and knocking on doors. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta put the legwork in first. Yeah, no doubt about it. So um, all the gear I'm sure that you guys have tinkered with over the years, being diehards like you are, um, I'm sure you've tinkered with every call and sound that the market can offer. So can you maybe emphasize your thoughts on the importance of a quality sound or certain sounds or certain calls or any anything along those lines? Uh, yeah, I was going to say one thing to kind of point out about that is, uh, when you go out there and you hear somebody else who's not as into it as you are, it's the same handful of Fox Pro sounds that every predator hunter uses. And you're almost, we almost guarantee those coyotes aren't coming in because it's used so often. Uh, so for us, we spend lots of money on just buying all the new sounds, uh, stuff that these coyotes are in our area have never heard. Uh, we use MFK, we use Predator Tactics, we use Boss Acoustics. Um, Tony Tab. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, those are some of our favorites. And we use some Fox Pro sounds still that just work, you know. But um, we we live and hunt in a very pressured area. Where there's a lot of predator hunters around here. And it's tough road around here, too. It they they want to they want to turn you in for everything and want to get other people in trouble so they get those lands they'll follow you around they'll 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 hunt on your properties after you leave i mean it's it can be it can get pretty rough around here wow that's foreign to me oh it's it's a it can be it can be a pain in the butt it's a pretty local thing from what we've gathered uh a lot of other areas haven't been complaining Pennsylvania in general, from what we've been seeing on the Facebook page, there's some some of that going around. But like right here in our specific hometown area, there's a uh, a couple of guys. But yeah, that's that's why we we find ourselves traveling half hour to forty minutes away before we even get to our first stand, just to get out of this area that's it's just overhunted, overcalled, uh, just so much pressure. But uh, to, the whole point of that was about the calls. Those guys aren't spending the money on the calls. So those guys are hitting Fox Pro at every stand. So by us paying the 60 bucks for an MFK sound package, it gives us the edge because those coyotes haven't heard that. Exactly. It makes a Fresh lot years. of sense. Yep. Yep. So you talked about traveling. Do you guys ever get into the season of bobcats and decide you're going to travel and try to kill a cat? <laughs> uh, I had a tag last year. I went out once. 
and that was about it. I I would love to get a bobcat. I have never actually gotten a bobcat. We have a we spot have... just down the road that is known for bobcats, but it's more woods. It's just super thick cliff and hillside woods everywhere, and that's usually where they're at. So the properties we're hunting, there's very few reports of bobcats being on their properties. Yep. So our our immediate location isn't the greatest for bobcat gotcha yeah and surprisingly you know we we do have a pretty decent population of bobcats around here not nothing to really get excited about but enough to where you spot them occasionally but yeah i've i don't think we've ever seen a bobcat in thermal in thermal while hunting coyotes i know i did in southern ohio one time and that's about it, but okay. it's just not as big right here where we're at. Now, if you go up north sure. towards towards like the New York, uh, Pennsylvania border, man, I know they got a bunch up there and they just, they kill them like crazy, but yeah. uh, it's just not, I'd like to get one mounted one day, you know, it's kind of a bucket list, but coyotes are where it's at for me. We're also a lot less educated on them. Yeah. And from what I gather, you need a lot more patience and you got to play with them a little bit longer, a lot, lot more prey. Um, we both have ADHD. I was just yeah. going to say my ADHD brain cannot handle that. So yeah. I need, I need action. I need it now. If not, we got to go to the next stand. 20 minutes moving on. I mean, that's, I, I don't have much patience for hunting anything for longer than 20 to 30 minutes anymore these days. So <laughs> it's that instant dopamine hit you get. You got oh, yeah. it, man. So it's an adrenaline. It's like buck fever every time you see a coyote these days. It is. It's fun. So you guys. And I hope that never. I hope that never stops too. That's 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 part of it. If it if it does, you'd have to reevaluate. So you guys. Exactly. You guys said that the thermal. The more challenging. Go hunt lions. Go hunt with like crossbows or something. (laughs) Yeah. Go hunt some wolves or lions or yeah. So you guys said about the thermal being such a game changer and such a, a big thing. But, I mean, besides that, um, you know, is there any other thing that, like, if somebody, you know, Joe Schmo like me that just wants to get better predator hunting, there's a couple things I take away from this conversation. But is there anything that really stands out to you that's like, look, this is one thing that would make you go from this level to the next level in a short amount of time? Uh, tripod. Uh, I don't know if you use AR platform or bold action, but, uh, I use an AR. So you get an Arca Swiss mount and you don't have to go buy the big bulky bog pods. You can just get one off of Amazon. Uh, I think mine costs 200 bucks. Um, the ball head on it's okay, but I did eventually upgrade that to a D-Lo and I'd say just tripod. That's, that's the biggest thing you get out there on a tripod in the middle of the field. That is going to completely change the way you hunt. Yeah, you know, I once we graduated from shotgun and red lights, and we were using rifles. My Primus trigger stick. I, yeah, I was using a monopod that I lost a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you went through three of those. Yeah, so, um, you know, those are somewhat stable, and but not realistic when it comes to coyotes because just the way they move. You know, it's not a deer that is just kind of cruising through cruising through or grazing a field they're they're always on the move and you know you get them to stop for those couple couple moments to to shoot you want something stable and precise so with the, with the tripods we use with the arca swiss mount and everything's locked in you can just tighten the ball head and you can let go of your gun and it'll stay exactly where it's at so that helps stabilize you a lot versus, uh, say, like the, I was using the Primo's trigger sticks with just a little V notch out of it to rest your gun in. Mm-hmm. It's just more stable, better shots, and uh, it's just it was a game changer for us to to learn that method of hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, since we're talking about uh, all this advancement in the thermal type things, you know, thermal is something that I'm extremely novice to, and I haven't had a lot of exposure. So. Can you maybe talk a little bit more specific about it? Maybe talk about the investment, like what all is, is the thermal gear you have from, are, are you using, you know, some kind of binocular versus scopes or both, or, you know, just kind of touch on that a little bit. Well, we've gone from the ATN Thors to what the Hogster to the Super Hogster to what the, the Infrared Rico. 
Uh, it's kind of that's what our progression rate. Right? Yeah, if you I mean, go, if you're just talking thermal. Yeah, if you go to night vision before that, yeah. which I went through several. But yeah, um, with the ATNs, the they're definitely I went to them because as a beginner too, uh, they're appealing because they all the bells and whistles, which you will only use like a handful. Um, but if you go with the Thor, I highly recommend you skip the LT, you skip the uh, 384s, and you go straight to their higher end. You will be way more happy with those. Because I've looked at the LTs, I've looked at the 384s, and I've looked at the lower end 640s, and all that is is fancy uh, words for their uh, uh, the resolution. But if you go to the higher end, like the uh, what is it, the ATM Thor four two and a half to 25. You will be happy with that one. Uh, what's the other one? Is the uh, that, that would be the only one in the yeah. ATN line that if, I would if that you I would good. consider. Um, but once you get into that price range, there are 384s out now that just blow 640s out of the water from ATN. No, but they blow ATN 640s yeah, out yeah, of the yeah. water and some other 640s from other manufacturers, but. Without getting too much into a, a manufacturer war, because that's a never-ending battle as well. Um, when you think you have enough money saved up for the thermal you want, save some more. That's all I can say. Is, yeah. So you're running stuff, it, it, is, it's on the gun, or how? how is that? Like, Explain that to me. Explain it like, I mean, very elementary here. Well, to start out, because uh, not everybody's going to want to buy two devices, I'd start out with a scope on your gun. You can put your gun on a tripod, look through your scope, and just spin in a circle and scan with it and hunt with it. Yep. When you graduate from that and you want, you got some extra cash you've been saving up, then I would buy a uh, monocular, some sort of scanner that you can handheld scan around and not use your gun. Or you can, you know, as soon as you get out of the truck, you can check out the property right away before you even get your your rifle set up. And that's, you know, that that could be the difference between getting that coyote that's already mousing in the field or running by the time you get set up so you know the technology is endless i mean a lot of guys like to run night vision scopes on their rifle and have a handheld thermal and they scan with thermal to to uh detect detect the the heat signature and then they jump on their rifle to identify and shoot um some some guys just run thermal scopes only if you can only afford one device i would go thermal on a gun i think would be my advice yeah, yeah. same here absolutely i mean we're fortunate enough to have a little bit of everything now but um you know starting out we we had thermals on our rifles spinning around tripods and it works it works real well so uh, one difference in thermal versus any other style of hunting is you really have to learn the animal's behavior yeah. because you're not looking at the color. You can't from looking at a thermal image, it's going to be hard to tell the difference between somebody's pet dog versus a coyote versus a deer at the beginning. And that's where the amount of money you spend comes into play as well. If you get that ATN, that lower end ATN 384 or that lower end AGM or it's going to be a pixelated white dog. Yeah, it's going to be harder to, to identify. Now, you get the, the higher end 640s, and, you know, with the, the higher base magnification, you're going to see and be able to identify more detail, more detail, higher resolution, uh, much more quickly before it gets to you so that you can safely take that shot. But like I was saying, the biggest thing in identifying in thermal is just behavior because with like with the lower end scopes, everything looks like a coyote when you want it to be a coyote. Yeah, yeah. Well, when sure. your brain wants it. So like when you're watching an animal that's just kind of hanging out and it's just bobbing its head a little bit, it's probably a deer. Now if there's an animal that won't stay still, it's constantly running around and moving and zigzagging. It's probably a coyote because coyotes almost never stop moving. Yeah, and that's you know that that advice is more useful here in the the hills of Pennsylvania as well you get out on the big open fields of the midwest it's almost obvious when you get a coyote coming in because 
you see them from about a half a mile away. Coming. You watch them trot in. You can see that. Yeah. You can just see by the way they run. It's super obvious. But like when they pop up 250 yards out of the wood line in front of you, and you can shoot as soon as you see them, you just you really have to pay attention to their you behavior. Absolutely, that's a, that's a big thing, especially in a nighttime situation. And I think that's why you guys are so successful because number one, you're well educated, you got the the equipment to do it safely and effectively, and that's great. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're, that's key. Right there. I mean, you said it. It's that the more dollars you spend, the safer and more effective your hunting is going to be. To be honest with you, I mean, I I'll never. Uh, talk down to someone's choice of gear that they use or, or choose to hunt with. And if all you can afford is an ATN, that's what I started out with yep. for a year straight. And I absolutely loved mine. Yep. Both of us did. I mean, we, we went through all the ATNs I did. I was an ATN fanboy for the longest time. Yeah, so. And I only switched from that to, I think a super hogster. Mm-hmm. And even those two, I had a hard time actually pulling the trigger and pulling the ATN off of the gun. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, Get what you can afford. Uh, if you can, if you have the discipline to save up a few more bucks and, and get the next model up, recommend it. Buy once, cry once. Um, it, it'll be worth it. Sure. So we're getting close to right around an hour here, and I don't want to make this go too long, but touch base on like the uh, the firearms that you guys prefer and your setups for that. Uh, I've been using, I started out on just a 223 AR and uh, I found there's more runners than I wanted because I want to find that coyote where I pulled the trigger, grab it and get to the next stand. So I jumped up from that to a 6.5 Brendel on an AR platform and uh, Brian and I both also hunt suppressed. So uh, I do that with uh, infrared Rico and that's pretty much my whole setup. Yep. And, uh, I as well started out with an AR, um, 223. And I think I went to a Ruger 300 blackout. That was very short lived. <laughs> and, uh, now I'm running a six millimeter Creedmoor Ruger precision rifle with a Rico 640 on top of it. Uh, suppressed as well. Um, our guest gun. Yeah, we have a guest gun. Yep. It's uh, it's your gun. You tell them. It's a side charging AR two two three, um, and it's got the Rico, the infrared Rico RL forty two. Um, then we also have uh, the infrared zoom that we're testing out right now, and um, along with a few other toys here that we're gonna get to play with here over the next few months that infrared sent us. Uh, another little piece of advice too with the thermals is if you're going to build a gun for it try to find side charging because with the way the thermals are it's kind of hard to get to that rear charging handle because the scope's over top of it yeah it's a whole lot easier just put your hand on the side and grab it and it's just way more convenient so i'd recommend that i switched over to bolt action because i was i found myself doing a lot of mag dumps on runners and missing more than i was Hitting. So I switched to the bolt action and kind of disciplined yourself. Disciplined myself. That forced me to discipline myself and uh, my accuracy and precision definitely increased tenfold after that. So you know, if you if you gotta get your trigger finger, get your trigger finger like I used to, then I would definitely recommend switching to bolt action or starting out with bolt action. Even sure, um, we'll definitely have much. Much more luck. Much more thought behind every trigger pull, at least. Yeah, yeah. You consider each shot. Absolutely. Guys, this has been jam-packed with a lot of really fun information. This has been a blast chatting with you guys. Do you guys have any any closing thoughts or closing remarks on this? Uh, my closing thoughts would be just have fun. Enjoy it. Don't let the industry get you down. Um, it can do that very easily. Uh, just get out there and, and have fun and keep learning. Ask questions and keep asking questions. Keep learning, you know, coyotes and how they act. 
I agree. I'd, I'd add to that is just find yourself a good Facebook group. There's some out there that's like every Facebook group that you can you can be in. There's ones that are full of drama and people who just like to tear people down. And then there's ones that are super good, respectful and full of knowledge. So if you're in one that's going to tear you down, find find that good one that's got a, a community of people who want to help you do better. Yeah. And use those groups to find someone near you who knows what they're doing and talk them into taking you out and find some of your own properties too, to have them take you out on. And you'll have much, much more results with uh, people wanting to, to mentor you, to mentor you. Yeah. So without a doubt, uh, but you can't kill coyotes from the couch. So get out there and, and hunt them. I mean, there'll be nights where you never, there will be months where you don't see or hear anything. Just keep at it. Don't let it, don't let it bring you down. Don't give up. Very, very cool. Very cool. Guys, I can't thank you enough. This has been fantastic. This was jam-packed with information, and I really thank you for coming on, and I would love to have you on again sometime. Anytime. We could talk coyotes all night. So <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if, uh, if you want to watch some of our hunts, uh, Keystone Predator Management on Facebook. Um, also, we have a page on facebook called everything predator as well as a website called everythingpredator.com it'll be a social media platform for predator hunters that i'm working on at the moment and uh also patriot pursuit is my nonprofit. we take veterans law enforcement and first responders out cavity hunting and fishing and any kind of hunting anything outdoors really so um we do a little bit of everything so check us out Absolutely. And we'll put links to those in the description and I'll make sure that we, uh, we tag all that when we post this episode, guys. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yep. So, Hey, thanks again, guys. And, uh, Hey, good luck the rest of rest of this winter with uh, your predator hunting endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care guys. Thank you.